Welcome to the Bentonville Beacon, where we bring you success stories from business leaders and owners about their triumphs and growth in the Bentonville and Northwest Arkansas community. You'll hear about how Bentonville has been the backdrop for incredible growth, not only for businesses and their employees, but in their personal lives as well. Tune in, subscribe, and enjoy hearing about Bentonville, where you get more of what you want and less of what you don't. Welcome back to the Bentonville Beacon Podcast, where we're sharing stories and advice from the leaders sparking the rise of Bentonville, one of the fastest growing and most dynamic cities in the United States, nestled in the Ozark Mountains of Northwest Arkansas in the heartland of America. Hey, I'm your host, James Bell, and I'm thrilled to share the studio today with Stan Zalowski, who is the CEO and co-founder of Movista, one of Bentonville's crown jewels in the technology space. I would say perhaps even one of the OGs, excluding our our Fortune One. Stan, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Hey, let's get started with one of my favorite questions, which is learning about the person. What's your story? What should the Bentonville Beacon audience know about you? Sure. My story begins in mainly in, in Northwest Florida, in the panhandle. Meandered a bit when I was very young with my family and settled, though, in Pensacola. Went to uh, middle school through high school there, graduated, did a couple of years of, of college there, and um, grew up uh, with a, um, uh, a really loving family, a, a, a brother and sister, uh, one brother, one sister, a little older than me. But we were of limited means. You know, we had, um, we worked for a living as a family, and I've, I've worked since I was very young. I went away and um, I got my four-year degree in only eight years, James. It was it was a thing of beauty. Did some time in Mobile, Alabama, then over to Dothan, and I finished at Troy State University and moved back to Pensacola. And I got a job with a manufacturer, a, a consumer products good manufacturer. And that really became my corporate career. I, I worked with that group for, uh, in the field. I ran the field. I moved to St. Louis where we were headquartered. Just a litany of jobs that would bore the audience to death. but as it turns out, that company was purchased uh, by another company uh, who said, hey, what do you want to do? And I was fortunate enough to have great bosses at that company who, uh, who helped me get down to Bentonville. That was 2005. I uh, came down to work on a vendor team. And uh, for those of folks who are not that acquainted with our corner of the world, there are about a thousand vendor teams here that represent every product that you can buy inside of a Walmart or Sam's Club. And I worked on one of those teams for a few years. And that's where we sort of understood, came to understand the problem we later set out to solve with Movista. On the personal side, I got married, had two beautiful boys. The The boys are doing really well. Unfortunately, the, the marriage didn't last, but she's a great lady. And and uh, that's been a few years back. But so I live, live downtown Benville, uh, right really within about 30 yards of uh, the offices of Movista, which are in the ice house down there. And I've uh, really, really loved being here. And, you know, so now I've been here 17 years, which is longer than I lived anywhere else, including where I, where I sort of say I grew up. That's so cool. Uh, well, boy, that's a short commute to the office, by the way. Yeah. And sometimes I work from home too, even though, you know, I, I look across the way there about uh, 30 years, you know, one of the things about living in Bentonville that's amazing is we have these, this um, greenway, this trail that, mm-hmm. that runs through all, not just through Benville, but throughout Northwest Arkansas. And I'm fortunate to have it run directly by my house and across the greenway is where 
the ice house building as we that we uh, invested in so long ago. It's a pretty magical place and a pretty magical way to live life to to pay, basically not have to get into a vehicle unless you just decide you'd like to. Yeah, it, it really is. Yeah, I want to go back to Northwest Florida for a moment. By the way, I used to I've spent a lot of time in Pensacola. I used to go when I lived in New Orleans. I went back and forth on Navy drill weekends. I was in the Navy Reserve, so I nice. spent a lot of time there, yeah. but also grew up in a family with limited means and had to work when I was young. Uh, I got to compare notes here. My first full-time job, I was eight years old. We had limited means. My dad had landscape and lawn care business and figured out I could work before school after working on the weekends and get in a solid 35 hours. I've got to know about your first job and how perhaps that has shaped you, if any. It's really funny. So my first job was not full-time. I have to admit okay. that. <laughs> uh, but my grandmother ran a restaurant, She she which just kind of ties back some things I ended up doing later. But she ran a restaurant. And on weekends, I was a bus, bus boy. And I was about the same age, probably eight years old. And I loved it. You know, I, I still love work. I still get a great deal of satisfaction out of accomplishing something. You know, sometimes that's paid work. Sometimes that's, you know, just doing something in the community or whatever. But yeah, so so very similar to you. I had uh, here's a few highlights from my my illustrious career. At eight, I was I was busting those tables and I sort of helped out in those restaurants throughout. When I got a little older, uh, I I was a checker in a grocery store. I was a stockman. One summer, I spent loading fertilizer, uh, manure, et cetera. You know, I was in the loading mm-hmm. area outside of a, a a hardware store. I had a job one time though. The only job I ever quit I ever quit. I was employed to build boxes. And and the way this thing worked is you had a hot tape machine and you folded the, the corners and you had to put hot tape on the corners to hold it. And man, by noon, my hands were like mittens with the uh, extra, oh shoot, what's the word? Adhesive that was all over my leg. I like the thing. So didn't make it through that. But probably my most famous, and actually the way I, I learned how to sell, I was I was fortunate enough to be related to some folks who were in the direct selling industry. You may know it better yeah. as door to door. And I sold these little cleaning machines that use two quarts of water to clean everything in your house, but didn't get anything wet. They're called rainbow cleaning systems. I still love I still love that pitch. I still love doing it. But I actually paid my way through uh, six years of college working in that industry. And if you've never had the opportunity to talk your way into a house to show someone a product that they definitely do not want and walk out of there with a big check, right? That's a very, um, it's hard to do, but it's the the skills that you learn are really satisfying. (laughs) That's solid. Uh, That's solid. Uh, Let's talk about Movista. Will you, I guess, start with the basics. Who are the customers you serve? What's the problem you solve and how do you do it? Sure. So Movista is a, a platform for managing workforces. That's what it is. Retail has a, an interesting dynamic. You have a group of companies who produce these products. We call those CPGs. And they make those products that come off the end of the assembly line. And if they're lucky, some retailer somewhere has agreed to buy that product and then, or, or take it on consignment and put it on the shelf. And then what the, what the, the, both, both the retailer as well as the CPG wants is for consumers to take that product out of that store, right? Mm-hmm. What are the conditions for making that happen? You want to have the right product in the right place at the right time, looking good and priced the right way. Whose responsibility is that? The answer is, and most people don't 
who live outside this industry don't understand mm-hmm. that is it's a mixed it's a mixed answer. So of course retailers are at the core of the operations inside a store. But many of the people you're going to see when you walk inside of a retail store don't work for the retailer. They work for Procter and Gamble or they work for Clorox or they work for any number of a thousand different brands either directly or indirectly. And so there's this there's this ecosystem out there that is all about doing what I said, which is getting the right product, right place, right time, uh, right price, looking great, and sort of executing the vision. What our platform does is it allows the constituents who live in that ecosystem, whether that we're talking about a field force that Hallmark owns to make sure mm-hmm. that you can get the greeting cards you want when you want it, uh, a third-party labor company or a retailer themselves, it's all the bits and pieces that go into making that work. Our secret sauce at Movista is number one, we were the first to mobile. So we had a mobile product on the iPhone, the original iPhone 3G, the original iPad. We were first to market in mobile. Our second sort of special reason for being is that we give a single user interface to field teams. So it doesn't matter whether someone in the background is is running a workday or they're running UKG. It doesn't matter to us if you're running SAP or you're running an Oracle product or, or et cetera, et cetera. We're going to make that field user's experience simplified. We're going to show them what they need, give them everything they want, all in one application. And then our last sort of differentiator is what I said before, which is it's a nuanced thing, but we don't just sell to retailers. We don't just sell to owned field teams like like um, I mentioned Hallmark earlier, or to third party groups, you know, like a, like a Crossmark. We sell to them all, which puts us in a unique position of being able to connect them all. Yeah, And so, you know, for, for most of our clients, we're the backbone of how they operate every day. And when you when you think about how a retailer is going to have a full view of everything going on in their stores, we're the path to get that done. That's pretty neat. Man, yeah, that's, that's cool. From, well, I'll add too, from a, as far as Movista's um, sort of where we started and where we are, mm-hmm. uh, th- we started just the two of us, myself and April Sagabrook, um, who's the other co-founder, amazing lady. And th- from there, we've got, gotten to about 110 employees across. I think we have employees in something like 12 states. And at varying times, we have employees over at Euro- in Europe. And, you know, we're really proud of the fact that we've done that here. We've raised uh, over $40 million in capital, a lot of it local, some of it uh, more from broad, more broadly in the Midwest, Mid-American Angels up in Kansas City. And then our largest partner economically is uh, Level Equity, which is a New York-based PE firm. They have been with us now since 18 and just really fantastic partners. That's great. You know, and you're probably one of the, in my estimation, one of the original companies locally to be able to pull money from uh, outside the area. And it seems like lately so many more are, which is really exciting. Yeah. I mean, as, as, as it relates to raising money here, as it relates to the startup community here and the entrepreneurial community here, look, let, let me first make this really clear. Sam Walton and Bud, J.B. Hunt, uh, jo- uh, John Tyson. I mean, these these were the OGs. Yeah. And so anything I talk about today, I want to be really clear. But I will also say those companies were all started in a relatively compact period. And certainly other companies grew up around them uh, in this area. 
As far as technology goes, I mean, you're right. Um, we're, we're very proud of the role that we had in developing state programs for incentives. And we worked directly with folks in, in, in Little Rock to develop programs. We, de- we worked with the University of Arkansas to develop programs, that financial programs that, that benefit startups and entrepreneurs. And I, I will sometimes say that we took the dirt road and, and so that others can take the super highway. And that's just great by me. That's, that's totally fine. Learned a lot of lessons along the way, but I, you know, I, I, hopefully we left a lot of breadcrumbs too, to, to help people sort of follow the path. Yeah. You took the dirt roads and put gravel and then started paving it. Yeah, sure. That's, that's pretty good. Yeah. So you mentioned your uh, co-founder, April, for a moment. I don't want to go too deep into restaurants since I'm going to talk with her about that here on this uh, show uh, soon, but talk about it just enough to tell us what are your restaurants locally that we get to, to eat and well, I think, uh, so, so along the way, as we have taken our entrepreneurial journey, mm-hmm. we became interested in the community at large and participating more fully in what it was to create a sense of place and community. And there was a gentleman by the name of Daniel Hintz, who is still here. Mm-hmm. Daniel's an amazing guy. One of the first, if not the first, executive directors of Downtown Bentville Incorporated. Yes. And we were friendly with Daniel, and there were just simply, there's no other way to describe it. Downtown Bentville was dead. It was dead. The only places you could go downtown and and get a meal, certainly a sit-down meal, were the station, which was then on the square, and Carl's moved it uh, away now, and and Table Mesa opened up just sort of around the same time that we started Movista. And we wanted to participate in that. So we certainly didn't have the funds and we definitely didn't have the operational acumen or time. And so we got together a group of folks. I think there were 16 original people and we just started the the teeny tiniest little pot of money and everyone put in, you know, two, two ducats and we started Tuscan Trotter. Nice. And that's uh, led by Chef Rob Nelson. And and now we just finished our 11th year with, uh, well, in June, it was 11 years that Tuscan Trotter's been open. And sort of that begot a series of investments and in not only, I would just call it hospitality in general and and in real estate. And I have, I have to tell you that um, one of the things that makes someone look really, really smart is when they bought real estate in Bentonville in 2010, 2011, right. 2012, they're, they're, you know, they look like geniuses. I think we thought it was a good idea, but we really didn't understand what a great idea it was. So weird. That's just blind luck. In any case, uh, so d- d- the restaurant group today has grown and they have uh, Tuscan Trotter, Trash Creamery, which is uh, Trash has a great backstory. We have the Butcher and Pint, which is currently not open. We're looking for a spot to put it. With, I think they've got something in mind. We have uh, High South Catering, and we have The Bend, which just recently opened out on the trail in North mm-hmm. Bentonville. And then we have a concept that uh, that they're, they're working to open called uh, Brothers, which I'll just leave that one sort of a question mark. It's It's phenomenal, but I don't want to take April's thunder on it. So, yeah, I mean, we, you know, we just... We love be the community that comes through food. I mean, we're not, no one's getting wealthy off operating, you know, local restaurant concepts. I mean, people may do that, but if they're, we're not operators. We're simply the investment arm. And we sort of 
Uh, sort of act. I think the best way to describe it is we're the board of directors, or mm-hmm. at least we have been. When we talk about April and what April wants to to do now in her career, that's changing a little bit. That's cool. Well, I mean, you have some great concepts. Get trashed all the time. Nice. Uh, wait a minute, trash creamery. Just want to be clear. Actually, you know, when some of the accelerators are in session here, I take groups of founders there all the time. I I must have some very strange looking expense reports. An inordinate amount of ice cream is is spent on my economic development budget. Um, Let me can I share yeah. just real quick the the backstory of trash, just the briefly. Oh yeah, please. I mentioned I had a brother. My brother's name is Bobby. He was just here last week doing some celebration. And my whole life since I was a kid, and now that I have boys, my boys are twelve and seventeen. So as they've grown up, when we go to see Uncle Bobby, the very first thing he's going to say to them is. Hey, you guys hop in the truck. We're going to get some trash. That's just what my brother calls junk food. And so when we were looking to name, if you haven't been to trash or, you know, you should, but essentially the concept is there, there are a lot of ingredients that you can have to trash up your ice cream. A lot of breakfast cereal is a point of emphasis there, but just a lot of cool stuff. And it's, it's just a fun joint, but that's where the name came from. We were, we were trying to think of a fun name that would be sort of a violator to the category. And we wanted to do something that was more fresh and modern. Ice cream is a gigantic category, Mm -hmm. right? But if I said to you, what's the disruptor brand in that category? Probably Ben and Jerry's would be the closest, but Ben and Jerry's is very much a, a, uh, a a hippie brand, if you will. Mm -hmm. And nothing wrong with that from my perspective. That's great. Uh, I love all the people, but we thought something a little edgier and uh, it gets people's attention. So they, they, they're doing really well. Yeah, absolutely. It's always packed every time I go there. Tuscan Trotter Mm -hmm. is the first restaurant that my wife and I went to together in uh, in Bentonville and a couple of years ago. And man, yes, pork rinds are out of this world. When they come out and they're still crackling, that was the first time I had experienced that that they came out and were still crackling. I I take a lot of heat for this. You know, probably will take even more after this, but. There's a lot of great restaurants that have opened here. There's a lot of restaurants that are much fancier than Tuscan mm-hmm. Trotter. It's really funny. I meet people who've never been to Tuscan Trotter and say, I don't know. I think it would be fancy. And I'm always like, it's a pub. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I know. Go, go in, in your, in your uh, biking gear and all that. But, what I, but my, my, con, my hot take, okay, is there's nowhere better. I'm not saying there aren't places that are just as good, but I personally, and I have nothing, literally nothing to do with creating the food or any of this. This isn't a stand statement. I just don't think there's anywhere you can go and get a more delicious meal than than Tusk. And again, we're, what we are really, really proud of and what I think we have played an active role in is to make make sure that every concept that we get involved in from, a, from an investor standpoint is absolutely approachable. We want them mm-hmm. to be places that people, if they've got a 10-year-old, are not going to shy away from from going to dinner there because those are the lives that we lead. And, and so uh, those are the lives we, you know, we want to kind of cater to. Ah, perfect. Well, I mean, we take our two-year-old boy there and sure. I don't think you would expect to be able to take a two-year-old boy to a place like Tuscan Trotter most of the time. It wouldn't make sense. You must be a better here. two-year-old than mine. When my kid was two, we usually ordered. And by the time the food came, we were outside waiting for the boxes. <laughs> Excellent. You know, uh, we talked a little bit about Movisa's founding, but I heard you perhaps started in a, a college class. Can you tell me about that? Oh, yeah. So, oh, absolutely. I'm proud to tell you about that. So, Dr. Carol Reeves, who is 
really a legend who those who know know mm-hmm. is it's one of those things. But Movista began as a graduate school exercise. I was um, in the full time grad. I'm sorry, the part time graduate program. I was running the vendor team. April was in the full time program, and the only place where those two programs overlapped was Dr. Reeves's class. Um, and so it was really simple in you know conceptually. Semester one, you identified a problem, wrote a business plan to solve it, and put the business plan together. Semester two, you traveled around and you competed to win money. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait a second, I can win money while, by going to school? And, like, and so, so we wrote the business plan around solving this problem I mentioned earlier, which is how do you get the right people, right place, right time, so you can get the right product, right place, right time, et cetera. The whole thing I went through earlier. And so, yeah, we, we, uh, first competition we went to was in Boise, Idaho. We won third. And then the second competition was actually in Little Rock. We won second. And then if you qualified second or higher, you went to this national competition and we won the national competition. So, you know, we ended up actually making money in graduate school through these, through these competitions. But I'll say this, Dr. Reeves and what she did, she's, she's since retired now and Sarah Goforth has that role. who's also amazing. But what she did to take teams from the University of Arkansas and go around the country and they compete, you know, this is, these are open deals, right? So it's not like, oh, we're just going to compete in the Southeastern Conference. No, no, no. You know, we, we, we competed with the, the Harvards and the Yales and the MITs and the Rices and all of those groups and won. Well, we didn't just compete. We won. Um, I, I think that she was sort of the uh, Nick Saban of, of these contests or these um, competitions. And a lot of companies have been born either directly out of that class or by the fire that she gets started in people and the, and the tenants that she taught them. So huge fan of Dr. Reeves. And she's, you know, she's, she's now a very good friend. And uh, I always joke with her that we need a bronze statue of her at the university. If she were a coach and that coach had won as many national championships at football or baseball, mm-hmm. or what, there'd be a statue. I guarantee you. Absolutely. Um, so, but the great news is she's tiny. So I'm like, how much could it cost to make a bronze? Bag? Well, like eight bucks. We can do this. So I may yet do it. Yeah. Well, if we can't put it on campus, maybe you're right in front of the Brewer Center. hundred percent. Yes. Yeah, you betcha. Where does the name Movista come from, by the way? Well, this is uh, high-end stuff, James. The name Movista and the story of Movista's name is high-end stuff, but I'll share it with you. When we were in college and we did that, competition. It was called Merchant Eyes. Merchant Eyes. Pretty clever, right? Also really creepy. So we went back to our careers. We we, we did not leave college and start Movista. There was a 18-month gap there. And we when we did leave in, in May of 2012 and go do it, go do the deal and say, okay, we're going to start this. We called it Merchant View. And it was called that for like two, two and a half years until we got a trademark infringement uh, situation. And, and we actually found the infringement, so we got ahead of it. But some bank somewhere had it trademarked. And so we went on this. This is how we do things there. We, we, we did not call a marketing agency. We did not, in fact, enlist anyone. We got up on the whiteboard and said, we need one part of this that means mobile and one part of this that means view. And after about 12 minutes, we landed on Movista. So solid, solid total cost in nine cents. Uh, And then we, and then we made sure that it wasn't going to be a trademark infringement because who the hell else would call something Movista and, uh, and away we went. 
And that's great. And, you know, to the startup founders listening out there or the potential startup founders thinking about your company name, I would hit that rewind button on your podcast player and listen to this again. I've seen this story over and over where folks found companies and don't realize that they really need to think about their name early. You can usually change it early. That's fine. But wouldn't it be neat to not yeah. have trademark infringements from yeah. the start? I mean, look, it's, it's a common founder I, I, uh, mistake, uh, right? Uh, yeah. I, look, that, to me, the most common founder, most common mistakes that founders make are one, quite easily undercapitalizing their business. Mm-hmm. And two, and I made it over and over and over again. And number two, they spend money on things that aren't important and they don't spend money on things that are important. And that's, that's unfortunate to see. And certainly something we try to work with folks uh, to help them on not, not making those mistakes. You know, a name, there's, there's a lot of ways to think about a name of a business, but to, to the point you're making, First and foremost, whatever it's going to be, make sure it's not infringing on anything so you don't have to change it. That was a good a point of order. Yeah. Um, something that honestly we didn't think a whole lot about. But I also am not a big fan of spending a lot of money on on marketing. You know, and this isn't a slight at our friends in Springdale. I love Springdale. I like going down there and I think their downtown's really shaping up. And um, but they they it, they spent a lot of money creating a logo for Springdale. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've seen it, uh, but I don't think they needed to spend as much as they did. And and that that is an example I actually use with with um, students that I'm talking to or young entrepreneurs I'm talking to. There's a there is a website called LogoTournament.com, uh-huh. and I love it. I absolutely love it. That's where the logo for Trash came from. It's where the logo for Tuscan Trotter came from. It's where the oh I forgot to mention the restaurants I forgot to mention Berg's we have Berg too which is in Bentonville Brewing but that's all of those were four hundred and fifty dollar logos now look do you later want to come back and have a professional group you'd be amazed what a great designer can do with a logo but do you want to you know you only have so many dollars and you only have so much time in the beginning and guarantee you the art is where to put the focus when I say the art what I mean is the product. Or whether that be a service or a hard product, focus on that. People will work around a name to get to the right product. So that's that's my two cents. Absolutely. When is the moment when you knew or believed that Movista made it that you were going to survive and thrive? So to yeah. Speak? Listen, I, 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 as far as the moment when I knew we had made it, I don't know that I look at the world through that lens. It's a continuum. And making it is an ever-changing standard of success or standard of growth. The last two years have been incredibly hard in this market and in, in, in to exist in this market. I don't talk to CEOs uh, or very rarely do I talk to CEOs. It's they're, they're five, maybe 10% of the market who have been able to thrive uh, since, since uh, Q1 of 2020 in the way that they were before or would, would be hopeful to. So it's been hard. And so I say that to say, like, have we made it? Are we like outside? The, are, we, are we sort of bulletproof? Heck no, man. I mean, we're still out here grinding. And so I would have a really hard time planting any flags anywhere mentally or, or literally. And that's okay. 
right? So because because I think I feel like the worst thing we could do is sort of say, oh, we're there, mm-hmm. right? We're not there. There's no there there. Now, I, you know, obviously when you build a company on a very personal level, there is there's probably a point where Stan Zlowski is no longer going to be at that company and would love to, you know, it, it, you know what I'm thinking of right now? You can't, it's Kenny Rogers, man. You can't count your chips when you're sitting at the table. That's right. You can't do it. No. So I, I appreciate the question of like, when did you know you'd made it? The answer is, I don't know that I've made it. I'll tell you later. However, I will say there have been points along the way where I would call points of pride, right? Where we accomplished uh, $5 million in, in recurring revenues, contract revenues, and then 10 million, and then 15 million. And then we attracted this capital in. And, you know, we're weirdos, I think, uh, in a certain sense. We take a, absolutely, this is the truth. We take as much pride in anything Movista accomplishes and what that means for Arkansas as what that means for me or, or, or what it meant for April or, or whatever. Like we appreciate our role as, as a piece of a bigger pie and we thrive on that. It moves us. We would love to be able to say we had one of the largest tech exits in the history of this state. And we're, and that's what we're grinding for. That's cool. I love that. You know, what you just described as an economic developer, I recognize what you just described as real economic development. I get to do my tiny piece, but it's folks like you and April who are out here grinding and making it uh, actually happen. And I really appreciate that. You know, there's, when I was studying for this episode, I uh, discovered a bunch of YouTube videos, mm-hmm. jotted down a few of them, a series of videos about the minds of Movista highlighting your employees. I believe what was a trivia game show for your employees during COVID. And one of my personal favorites was Movista's own version of Hot Ones. Oh, man. <laughs> Starring you wow. and uh, April. I didn't think you were going to make it. I also didn't think I was going to make it. <laughs> I'm not certain I did make it. Uh, you may be, we may, this may be one of those simulations where, that, uh, where, where they've re, we've restarted the simulation because I didn't make it out. Yeah, John, I never said his name right, and, and no one does, but uh, I believe it's Kedu. Uh, it is Kedu. John Kedu, if you know him, he he did a deal with us and brought in uh, wings of increasingly hot sauces. And it was uh, it was quite a, a moment. I don't like hot stuff in general. Like I usually say, I'd like, please pretend I'm four years old. Bring me something for a four-year-old out here. You know, I'm glad you looked that stuff up. I'm glad that stuff is out there. One of my favorite videos, I don't know if you found it or not, but do you remember the bucket challenge? Oh, yes. <laughs> so we have a video out there somewhere from when we did the bucket challenge and the team did a great job slow mowing a couple of the people that just lost it, you know, when it, when the water went over them. Look, I think the most important thing to me about Movista and what we've built has nothing to do with economics. It has everything to do with culture. It has everything to do with driving value for employees and in the, in, in the community, the, the, and I'm talking micro community that we've built at Movista. We have so many employees that have been here for eight years, 10 years, 12 years. We have so many employees that, you know, I just feel like they bleed Movista blue, right? Um, and that, 
that's special and that's differentiated and that's important and that matters. A lot of times when we think about what we've been able to accomplish, we're talking about some sort of an economic thing that says, oh, we're a $100 million company. We're a $200 million company. We're blah, blah, blah. Okay, well, that's interesting to me, but I love thinking about it in the context of we have facilitated by my own math, and I'm I'm sure it's not 100% accurate, but somewhere north of a thousand Christmases or, or you know holidays, a thousand family vacations, a thousand back to schools, a thousand, thousand, you know, whatever's 12,000 home payments or this many children. Like that's what really is cool and exciting about starting a company. I mean, all of us want to have financial success, but it's, it's, it, there's something bigger to it. There's something more important to it. And, uh, we're really focused on it. You know, cultural values that, yeah, I think that, I think that's one of my two major jobs. My two jobs as a CEO, most important are to make sure that we have the capital we need to thrive and grow and to make sure that our, we're being honest to our culture. And that's, that's perfect. You know, all this other stuff doesn't matter if people don't matter, right? Well, I don't know. I, I love, James, I, I'll be honest. As far as people go, you show me someone who's built a great company without great people. Well, I just say, you show me that. Yeah, they're not out there. That, that, <laughs> you, you're not going to find it. Doesn't exist. I wanted to add one of the other things I learned, uh, by the way, about, oh, two other things that I, I learned about your company and, and culture is also uncovered that one of your company's values, and I love this, is that you may not win every deal, but you'll win every party. I, 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 our, corp, our corporate values are as follows. What you see is what you get. So we are hyper-transparent inside the company. Some might say blunt, but there, there need to be no secrets, right? Because we can't operate in that environment. The, the customer success is our success. See how long you can keep a client who's using your software but not having success with that software. Right. You're not going to, you know, it's not going to work. Get along or get along. Look, I'm interested in a lot of things. I am not interested in what color someone is, what country they came from, who they're married to or would like to be. I don't care about any of that stuff. I got holes that need to be dug. If you can dig them, let's go to work. And then alternatively, if you can't dig the hole, then you're not a Movista person. You get to go, you know, that's, that's mm-hmm. that, right? It works both ways. Fitfo, that's the one I thought you would gravitate to. If you don't know Fitfo, oh, I'll save your listeners the expletive in there, but it's figure it out, okay? And that's about being an army of one. It's about being resourceful. Look, you only have a hundred people in a company. It may sound like a lot of people, but it's very, very few people to grow an enterprise tech company. You certainly cannot have baby birds who need to be fed. We love to give back. We have give back goals. That's the uh, that's the next one. And I'm really, again, something I'm super proud of. So that when we start the year, we want to do 5,000 hours of community service and we want to do uh, give $10,000. To date, we've done over 6,000 hours of community service and well north of $10,000 donated. And it's all done in increments. You know, it's, it's uh, my thing is I like to mow lawns for the elderly and someone else likes to go work at the library. I don't care what they do, right? It's yeah. just about giving back. And then you're right. The last, the anchor, the bedrock of the whole thing is let's have fun. You know, we got to be here. We got to work. Let's make it fun. So yeah, we've lost some deals, but we've never lost a party. Yes. Undefeated and undefeatable, James. That's what we are as partying goes. That, well, that's the way to be. I got to tell you, my whole life, you, when you said I, I 
you thought I would have gravitated to FitFo. You figured me out because that's been my whole darn life is just freaking figuring it out. But I every appreciate C- that. Every CEO I know, when if I'm, I have an opportunity to speak or go through our values, mm-hmm. that's the one that they come up afterwards and want to talk about or, yeah. or take it back with them. Yeah, FitFo, love it. Hey, I'm going to integrate that into to my list. You know, uh, oh, I've got to add this one more. Also learned your office at the Ice House, which I've never been in. I've driven by a billion times. We're on the same street. Is just plain fun. Mm. And has eight, is it eight bathrooms? So you can tell I really. <laughs> at least. And is hashtag the coolest office in town. So sounds like an amazing place really to work. Um, you know, I know Movista does a lot with Ignite and other programs in this community. You're really developing the the workforce of uh, the future. Will you talk about how you're helping cultivate and create that workforce? Yeah. So we we work really hard to cultivate the technology muscle in mm-hmm. in Northwest Arkansas, Arkansas more broadly. And we do it through multiple venues. Ignite is a great program, part of Ventonville Schools. Actually, the last podcast I did was a group of kids over at the Ignite uh, offices mm-hmm. uh, a while back. We had a long conversation about sneakers. I love sneakers. Nice. Um, and um, anyway, so so yeah, we do that. We do uh, internships, paid and unpaid, uh, through the university. We we really honestly will open the doors to anybody who wants to come in and shadow, do co work, contribute or not contribute necessarily. We're very, very active at the university, sponsoring specific programs and also just staying involved with the entrepreneurial um, mm-hmm. ecosystem down there. We, ha- we do have our mugs at the, uh, at the Brewer. What, what is it exactly is the name? It's, it's the called Brewer. the Brewer Entrepreneurial Hub. That's what it's called. Yeah, that's the it. Brewer Entrepreneurial Hub from, with Cleeton family making that donation. You know, and so I, it's, I don't know that I have anything to, to share with you that's, that's like micro specific because there are so many different ways that people get turned on to technology and so many different levels of acumen that they, they come to us with that um, it's, it's really a less prescriptive and it's more, let's put ourselves out there. Let's open up our end of the API and let people write to it, you know? And, uh, but I'll also say this, if, if someone's a tech anymore, if someone is a tech leader or they're thinking about a tech company, really, honestly, any company, you really need to ask yourself some, some fundamental questions that start with, is wherever I'm going to start this company a place I want to live? Is this a community which I would like to be part of? Is this, is this where when my eyes fly open at the beginning of the day, uh, somewhere I'd like to be? That's one, and that's important. The, the second one, though, which is probably as important is, is this a place where I'm going to be able to access the capital I need? And that's not just financial capital, but now we've answered those questions, right? I mean, if we've raised $40 million in Bentonville, then other people can do it as well. And there's new road ventures here locally and lots of ways to, to ways and means to get there. But then we think about intellectual capital. And so depending on the industry that you're thinking about working to penetrate, or whether you're going to do uh, uh, direct-to-consumer, that's sort of another level down. Here's what I love about Northwest Arkansas. I mean, practically, any company you can think of would be able to be started here. Sure. Every one of those groups that has products or selling to Walmart, when they send people here, they don't send the dregs, man. They send the best 
and the brightest. And they're not just salespeople. These are analysts. These people have deep financial acumen. They have deep logistical acumen. They're operators. They know what the hell they're doing. Yeah. And that's who lives here, right? It's one of the reasons that this place is, is like the, the, the magic kingdom. It's this crazy combination of, of wealth gained in a conservative way, which is important. Mm-hmm. The, 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 so the, cause, because it creates a respect for financial capital of really highly educated people, of really hard workers, of really motivated people. And then you have the natural beauty of the area. I mean, what the hell else are you looking for? And affordability as a conversation we have before, you know, yeah. it, relative to, to other places, you know, you want to compare Bentonville to what, to Boston, to, to Silicon Valley, to Austin, to, you know, any large metro area, we're going to compare on cost and we're going to blow people out of the water on standard of living. I mean, it's insane. So I don't remember what you asked me, but I just got really excited about Bentonville. Well, that, that's an exciting pitch. I like that. Uh, I've, I've done comparative tables of some of those cities, including Austin, uh, that, that you mentioned of Bentonville and across the board in every, in most metrics, right? There's some, but in, in most metrics, we blow them out of the water and including in things like you wouldn't expect, for example, per capita, we have a higher density of tech workers. Mm, yeah. Totally unexpected until I did the grit. I, I just remembered what you asked me. So let me just yeah. add one quick thing. James, it is a flat earth in the sense, not literally, I don't believe that, but in the sense that I now have, we now have the capacity to hire tech workers mm-hmm. anywhere, anywhere in this country and in the world, really, right? So that's why I was going through what I was going through earlier. You're going to yeah. pick a place to found, to put your company, just pick a place you want to be that you literally want to be. And of course, you're going to be able to, to get certain talents here, but you may have to get some code base, you know, knowledge or whatever, some, some, some specific need you have technologically. You may have to hire them from else, but I got to tell you, that's not going to matter. You know, it's, it's, it's not going to matter. At, at the end of the day, that's going to be true no matter where you are. Yeah, you bet. Well, can we talk about Bentonville more? Let's talk about, you know, Perhaps go back 12, 15 years. How has this community, <laughs> right? <laughs> Big story. We could be all day on this. How has this community evolved over the past 12 to 15 years? And, and what has surprised you most about Bentonville's rise? Bentonville's rise is simple and complex and controllable and uncontrollable. Incredibly interesting. I think there could be books written on this subject. In 2010, roughly, maybe it was nine, something like that, the family, the Walton family came out and they said, listen, we've been investing a lot in, in Arkansas and mostly, mostly in Fayetteville, mm-hmm. great town. Going forward, we're going to get really serious about investing in our hometown, in Benville. And man, did they put their means where their mouth was. And Alice, Miss, Miss Alice Walton, I don't, hey, I, I don't I have no business saying Alice, but Miss, Miss uh, Alice Walton built Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art. Her good friend, Laura Lee Brown, put the 21C Museum Hotel at the top of the hill. Carl, who is a great restaurateur, I mentioned earlier, had Table Mesa. We opened Tuscan Trotter. He opened Tavola right next door. And then it began to be like dominoes. And I give 
the Walton family credit and they deserve credit for putting a few foundational pieces in play. Uh, but I've heard them say this, that would never have been enough to make a community. And I think that's a mistake people really mm-hmm. can make when they come here say, Oh, this is a, this is a, like a, um, a manufactured town. This is basically the, the community equivalent of sync. Well, that's not true. Uh, the truth is it always takes public, it, it takes, it always, it takes public monies for infrastructure and things like that, which we need to do better. It takes private leadership money. And then it takes a community filling in all those little nooks and crannies, right? And creating real, authentic labors of love. Not to say that, by the way, that, that what the Waltons did weren't labors of love, because I believe they were, but you just need a lot of them, right? And so for those who weren't here before, imagine like the most dead downtown you can imagine, the ones that you can go find and any state you're in, probably within 30 miles of where you are, a downtown square that has been abandoned. And then imagine a place where you can't find a parking spot with so many cool little restaurants and nooks and bars and shops and parades and events and festivals and all of those things. And that's really like a light switch, how it all changed. Um, and I don't think you can, I don't, I don't, again, going back to like, it's, it's a pie, a big slice of that pie goes to those, those foundational investments, but a whole lot more of that pie goes to people in the community leaning in and opening up mom and pop type shops because, you know, that's what the real is. That's how the real works. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think, I think people sniff out in, uh, in authentic, authenticity. Is that right? Inauthentic things pretty quickly. And uh, it's just, it's just a magical spot, man. It's, it's, it's one hell of a Venn diagram that has Bentonville in the center of it. I think you're right. I think what you just described, it's kind of like Stephen Covey's big rocks and sand, right? And you have to have the foundational stuff. And in his story, the sand is the afterthought, right? But actually that sand being poured in and filled around those rocks kind of helps it it makes it all work. And in this case, that's what you just described. You have to have the sand filling in the crevices. Let Mr. Covey build himself a brick wall with no mortar in it and get back to me. <laughs> exactly. You know, Stan, you and April are really a, a big part of Bentonville's story. We've talked about some of that. Not only have you delivered this amazing company, Movista, but also these restaurants that we can spend time with our families and friends and colleagues and you know, having fellowship in. So, you know, I, again, appreciate what you are doing a, a lot. Will you tell me a story? I'll make this a hashtag because Bentonville story. And a hashtag because Bentonville story is, you know, a moment or a, a story that describes the essence of this place or is unique can only happen here. I'll tell you my favorite because Bentonville story. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it's like one of my, crazy moments of my life. One night we had had dinner at Tuscan Trotter and we walked across the square. Uh, For those of you who don't live here, it's probably about 200 yards. This whole story happens at 200 yards. And we went into 21C Mm -hmm. to the lounge and uh, I don't drink, but all my friends do. Anyway, so I went up to the bar and uh, one of the waitresses came over to me and she tugged on my shoulder and she had formerly been a, a waitress at Tusk and, you know, that's great, whatever. So, she says, come here. So she goes, she's like, look in there. And I look over there and she goes, 
is Drew Barrymore. And I was like, man, she sure is pretty. That's my first thought. But uh, I thought, oh, this is really cool. And went back to the bar. You know, everybody was kind of, there's kind of a buzz, you know, Drew Barrymore, Drew Barrymore. So then I started having this conversation, this guy next to me, uh, whom I knew, he's an architect. And the conversation was about the fact that, and I still stand by this, you know, uh, the cities treat everyone equally. They just treat some people more equal than others. Because uh-huh. uh, I, I think 21C is taller than it's supposed to be by code. I'm probably wrong. Was having fun. But we're arguing about it, right? <laughs> so the guy, the other guy at the bar says to me, hey, what are you guys arguing about? And I look, I turn around and look at him and I say, well, we're arguing about how tall this building is. But before you weigh into the argument, I want you to know that this guy's an architect and I'm an idiot. And he goes, architect? Ah, who gives a crap about architects? You want to know something about building, you ask a builder. And I say to the guy, I say, well, Harrison, I'm interested to hear your perspective. It was Harrison Ford. (laughs) I was sitting at the bar with Harrison Ford. And we went on that night. I have goosebumps right now. Uh, we went on that night to hang out for quite a lo- quite a long time. He was very, very gracious. We had a lot of fun. And um, people, everyone was, you know, eventually it got to be too much. And he, he went upstairs. But yeah, that doesn't happen everywhere. And I, I got a lot of those stories. It's just, it's just a very special place that attracts very special people. And they don't all have to be movie stars. But man, it, it, is, uh, it is a place to make a life. That's what Benville is. It is. It, it, you know, what you were talking about just made me think about this as a place where completely normal people live and people who may not live normal lives can come here and be normal too. And it all just fits together. It's kind of nice. Yeah. Okay, Stan, let's play a game I like to call if you could only choose one. Mm. And uh, the first one is Favorite Bentonville restaurant that's not in your empire? <laughs> uh, I'm going to go Peddler's Pub. Ah, wonderful choice. If if you had all your menus laid out from your restaurants, what's the one thing you would choose to eat? Pigger nachos. Oh, I love those. My wife looked at me like I was crazy when I ordered them, and she loved them too. Favorite Bentonville place or thing to show off to visitors? I believe her name is Emma, uh, the pig that is a pig statuette oh, that's, yeah. that's on the way down Crystal Bridges Trail. It's either Ella or Emma. I think it's, it's Emma. Emma. Yeah. I'm certain it's Emma, Emma the pig. Favorite Bentonville thing that you think many people underappreciate or just don't know about? Um. Wow, that's a good one. Okay, I'm going to be a homer on this. Okay. okay. It's, it is a thing to me. It, it's not about the restaurant, but what, what people don't know is that the building that Tuscan Trotter in was uh, Sam's original warehouse and that he actually had a, a desk up in the, by the front window on the, what would that be, on the uh, northeast uh, corner of the building. So we've always liked to sit at that table because Sam had that, because, you know, he's like, how could I possibly get some of that energy uh, yeah. that, excel- that energy of excellence. So, uh, yeah, I think that's like a cool little, a little something. As far as secret, secret things to, to go and do or see, I think some of the shops at 8th Street Market don't get enough love. Mm. I think Hill Folk's really, really cool. And the chocolate shop has the most amazing uh, hot chocolate ever. Yep. I love it. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, and folks who are, are watching the video version of this podcast were tipped off immediately, I'm sure, when they saw what you're wearing today since it's the holiday season 
What's your favorite Christmas activity or decoration? I like I like to make cookies. I do love college football, so I like the all the I like all the footballness of the holidays too, for sure. But I like to make cookies. I'm a pretty, I'm a I'm a I'm like a big kid. In case anyone hasn't picked that up yet, so kind of like all the things I wear. If you can't if you're just listening, you can't see it, but I wear a string of these battery powered Christmas lights around my neck, probably about eighty percent of the month. I've been to Branson twice uh, since holiday season began. I'm pretty much just a big cheese ball. And I love the Benville Christmas Parade. Oh my gosh. I had a blast there. I was standing. I was the second most photographed person at the parade that you couldn't see. (laughs) Because it turns out we were standing right behind the guy who was walking around in the moon head. Yeah. And of course, you couldn't see us standing behind him, but uh, we need to to move it. it. Now, this is my note to the mayor. We need to move the parade back to the daytime where it was for up uh, all the years up until just a couple ago. I just think it's hard to see at night. Yeah, yeah. See, notes. I'm making notes about the city. <laughs> Mayor Orman, if you're listening, <laughs> let's start wrapping up. Uh, we'll do it in three questions unless I forget that promise and, 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 and add something. Uh, how does Bentonville help you live the life that you deserve? Bentonville helps me live my life because it is compact. It is focused on community and it is mentally stimulating. Very nice. If someone wants to reach you or learn more about Movista, how do they do that? I am Stan at Movista.com. One of the great pleasures of being one of the first couple of employees, you know, you keep it simple. Stan at Movista.com. And, uh, I welcome all discussions about whatever. I have a Twitter handle, but I don't talk about it because those views expressed there are exclusively my own and probably offensive. Sometimes I offend myself. <laughs> That's great. Hey, one of the great pleasures is being a founder and having that simple email address. You're exactly right. And it makes your email address memorable after those companies are gone, I have to say. Anyway, last question. What's something I should have asked you that I did not ask? Well, you didn't ask me about my boys who are beautiful and brilliant, funny, talented, remarkably smelly. You know, I'll share this about my boys. This is a Benville thing too. They're, they're different kids. My 17-year-old has been at the Thaden School, which is a independent school for those who don't know Benville well yet, but a world-class education right in the center of, of downtown, mm-hmm. right, right off center of downtown Benville. And Dr. Marsh, who founded the school, it's an amazing school. And that's the kind of kid he is. You know, he's a, he's a small classroom, intense studies, wants to study film, uh, really brilliant, thoughtful uh, kid in that, in that sort of creative way. And then um, not like you're not unlike your producer, Isaac here. And, uh, and then my other son, Simon is uh, a public school kid and loves his sports. Um, you know, loves to protect, loves to play sports and they both do, but just different, you know, just different kids. And what's great is here, because the schools are so great either way you want to go, you got all those options. But uh, really proud of those boys. We really, you know, if you if you can't take pride in anything else in the world, my goodness, raise some great kids. That's 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 a great source of pride. Cool. And you said they're 12 and 17? 12 that- and 17, yeah. Cooper's going off to college and, and, you know, after this year he's a senior and he'll be in the first graduating class from Thaden that went from sixth grade all the way through. And Simon is over there uh, working his way through Washington Junior High School. And I think it's just about as much fun as it sounds like. Nice. Uh, we have a two-year-old at home. We started late. 
he's our first, uh, and can't wait to get to that uh, point where they're, he's smelly and doing yeah, all these amazing things. for a different things. reason when they're two. But you know, the uh, <laughs> yes. uh, I always say the day they come out of the oh, they, they they say I got to go potty, and you say okay, and they say I got it. Oh, that's the greatest day ever. You know, like they don't need to help anymore. You bet. Well, Stan, hey, thank you so much for spending time with me and the Bentonville Beacon audience today. You know, this was it was a real pleasure. I appreciate learning about you and, and your thoughts and things that you've shared that people can actually take and use from a culture perspective, especially. And, you know, and talking about how far Bentonville has come and your part and April's part in uh, building this place. I appreciate it. Thanks for the work you're doing, James. Appreciate it. Thanks well, for having me. Thank you. Well, thanks to our Bentonville Beacon audience. You know, this show... Uh, wouldn't be possible without you. So do me two favors. First, share this show in any way that you can by email, social media, uh, however. And second, come back to learn more about Bentonville and this place here in uh, Bentonville, Northwest Arkansas, where you can have more of what you want and less of what you don't. And as always, visit BentonvilleEconomicDevelopment.com to see all of our podcasts and learn more. Thanks. See you next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Bentonville Beacon Podcast. We hope to see you next week.